someone beside you and tell them it's good to stand beside you. I look at somebody else and say, you look good. <laughs> if somebody beside you is not smiling, look for another seat. <laughs> I mean, we still have a few seats left, so look for another seat and just arrange yourself. It's good to be here tonight. Um, I'm trusting God that we're going to have a great time together, rub minds together. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron, and the brother sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's what's going to happen here tonight. I'm trusting God that you leave this place sharpened and um, set to fulfill destiny in, in grand style in Jesus' name. Will you lift your right hand with me? Our Father, we thank you as we submit to your will and your purpose tonight. We dedicate this gathering to you again, and we ask that this time of sharing will be a time of enlightenment, a time of revelation knowledge, a time that you broaden our heart. Holy Spirit, this is all about you. You are the repairer of the broken wall of human lives. We ask today that you repair every wall that may be broken in our lives. We ask that you shape us up for our destiny. Let your light shine upon our hearts. We leave this time for you, for transformation, for healing. Let your light shine in darkness, and let darkness not be able to comprehend it. We give you glory and we give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Put your hands together, celebrate Jesus. <laughs> praise God, you may have your seat. All right, it's good to see everyone here tonight. Um, this is uh, a good time to be alive and well, and it's also a good time to be a man. <laughs> okay, guys, are we winning? I said, are we winning? You're not sounding like somebody that's winning. I said, are we winning? All right. Um, we're not, I'm not, I didn't say that to mean that are we winning against the women? No. We're not in competition. Yeah, we're winning in life and fulfilling our destiny and fulfilling our purpose and um, uh, doing great stuff and also uh, being good to the women folk and just enjoying life. That's, that's, that's the purpose of that question. Praise God. All right, tonight is the first of a series, um, which I, I choose to call the, the Man Up series. And this is just the first of, of, of its kind. I just feel so privileged and so blessed to be able to impact lives and to be able to uh, speak into your life. Um, I'm not essentially a, a very old man, uh, just 18 going on 19. <laughs> and um, uh, I've, I've experienced marriage also, not as long as someone like Mr. Lausa here, who's been married for close to 30 years. This is just my 16th year of marriage. Yeah. Um, but I'm a proud father of two teenagers. Uh, and I think I know, I've seen a bit of life, and I've gotten some good understanding of the Word of God uh, with, with proof. Because my 16-year-old marriage is a very blessed one. My wife is happy with me. She, <laughs> she gave me a peck outside now before she drove off as a proof of her happiness. <laughs> so... Uh, um, uh, part of what I'm going to be sharing uh, this man of series are things that I believe you should know and not only know, understand and work with if you're going to make the most of the next decade ahead of you. 
or the next two decades ahead of you. Because in the next decade ahead of you, a few things will happen to you. Especially for those of you who perhaps are thinking the way I'm thinking. A few things will happen to you in the next 10 years. For most people here, in the next 10 years, you will become a husband and a father. All who believe say amen. Amen. Someone may still be thinking, I have a bit of time. Maybe you're just in your early 20s. Yeah. Uh, but even at that, it, 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 the next 10 years is a lot, lot of time to burn off. So don't, don't think of catching up very quickly. And if you, you're in your 30s, then you should say 100 amens to my prayer. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So... The next decade ahead of you, many new things are going to happen to you. You know, I was listening to a mentor recently who said, there's a stage in life, which is this stage. He said, uh, you, you will experience many first. First car, first brand new car, first rented apartment, first personal house. Yeah. Sometimes maybe first girlfriend or first real girlfriend. First, <laughs> you know, the first experience at many things at this stage, many first. Then you're going to get into another 20 year to 30 year bracket where what you'll be experiencing is just more of repeat. Repeat. You understand? You'll be having all kinds of, exp- I mean, your first job or first major job, first major contract that's. But after a while, it's just another contract, another, somebody, I mean, you hit your first million, first 10 million, I mean, first 100 million, maybe first 1 billion. You, you understand? Say a better amen. amen. I'm not here to joke. This is real life that we're dealing with. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I meant to people who are in their mid-30s and they, they, they hooked their first billion in their early 30s, late 20s. Yeah. So it's not a... Uh, I've seen all kinds of things, you know. So don't take anything I'm saying for granted. Um, our hood was Mark Zuckerberg when he became a billionaire in dollars. Yeah. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. The founder of Facebook. Yeah. And we're in, the, we're in that era where things will happen fast for somebody here. Amen. So there, there will be first, first this, first that, first this. And then we get into the era. We get into the era where you have repeats, 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 repeats. And then you get into the era when you enter your late 60s into late 70s to early 80s, where you'll be telling your wife, this may be our last house. <laughs> because when the departure the lounge of life, any moment from now, they will call body. <laughs> yeah. You know, when people are in their late 70s, early 80s and all that, when you buy them a brand new car, they will think maybe this will be the last brand new car. Yeah, right there. This may be the last house we're going to live in. In fact, one elderly man once said this, that he got to a point in his life when people come to visit, it feels like telling them, this will be the last time I'll see you. Because he was in his 80s. This may be the last time I'll see you. You know, That's how life is. And you need to understand it, especially as, as men, we all need to understand it, that 
We need to maximize every season. Life happens to us, whether you like it or not. Trusting God to keep you alive, very soon you're going to be in your 50s. You're going to be in your 60s. You're going to be in your 80s. And then, like I said, in the 80s, people don't think more of uh, new things. They just think of last. Yeah. If you are fortunate to be in your late 80s, it says somebody's deceiving you. <laughs> if you're thinking of last, last. Before we get to that point, we have a lot of time ahead of us, and we must make up our minds to maximize the time that we have ahead of us. Maximize the time we have ahead of us. Before I get into uh, the fullness of what I'm talking about tonight, uh, I'm going to share for maybe another 30, 35 minutes, and then I'm going to ask, I mean, I'll give you an opportunity to ask me questions. Um, one more thing before I get into the full gist of tonight is this. For everyone here and for the series, for this series, as uh, long as we meet, as, as, uh, as often as we meet, I'm going to be challenging us to live a life in the spirit because that's very important. To make up your mind that I'm going to live, I'm going to spend the next 10 years just practicing how to live in the spirit so that the rest of my life I know that I, I will live it in the spirit and I will live it with God. Now, a lot of things are happening right now. If I ask you, um, how you are living. The basic understanding that you should have is this. In Galatians 6 and uh, verse 16 or so, uh, the Bible says that Galatians 5 and verse 16, I say then, walk in the, in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there are two places people can walk or two understanding people can have there. One is that you can walk in the spirit or live in the spirit and then you can be fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That's what we call a carnal life. So you can be a Christian and still be carnal, which is flesh-driven, lust-driven, motivated by things of the flesh or things that please my flesh. But if we stretch it a little further, is that you can live a fully secular life. Yeah. Many of us have people who are unbelievers who don't believe in Christ, they're not disciples of Christ, so they live their life in a godless manner. That's secular. Secular means that God is not reckoned with, or is not present. Today, it's becoming fashionable to take God out of every place and relegate God to a corner. That's how our society is working now. So, no prayer in school, no prayer at work, no, don't bring religion to public spaces, all right? We are making our environment a lot more secular. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. And a lot of us feel that that is the way to live. Pushing God into one corner. You know, you can be a Christian also and you have pushed God into a corner in your life. It's just in one corner. It's not in the center space. And the only way to live the Christian life is to say, is either is God of all or not God at all. Many young people don't like to hear that. Because something suggests to you 
that you may lose control of your life if you say he's God of all. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. But if you are the God of the universe, just think about it. If you are the God of this whole universe and you strike a relationship with a young man like me, do you want to be in the corner? The God of the universe wants to have a relationship with you. Who should be in the corner? It's just simple logic. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. I think I should be in the corner. Let him take the center space. But because the world we live in today is focused on how do we push God into a corner, a lot of us are also falling for that in our lives. So you leave this place right now, you get out there, maybe on your way home, you decide to branch somewhere, maybe your friends are at the bar, you know, something. Yeah. You can't even tell them you're coming from a Christian gathering. <laughs> That's where you need to start to tell yourself you're in trouble. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. Because it's either you're a Christian man or you're a secular man. That's a godless man. Now, I understand that some Christian men are still struggling with carnality, which is the work of the flesh. And I'm not condoning that, but at least it's a step. <laughs> it's better than being secular. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying at all. Yeah. So I'm saying it starts from our mind to bring God into the center space. That's where you, you can begin to, I mean, Read this kind of scripture, Galatians 5 and 16, and you, you walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. But if you are still struggling to bring in God into the center space in your life, we can't even start to say walk in the spirit. You have me look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Someday I will have the opportunity to break that a little, I mean down a little bit more as to how you walk in the spirit. But for Today, um, this first in the series, I just want to speak to a subject, one subject that is, uh, that, that is very, very dear to my heart, that I believe and wish all of us will leave this place tonight and make up our mind. This will be uh, a permanent part of our lives. And I'm talking about... Um, can you, can, you, can you put my first slide on? I'm talk, talking about the subject of discipline. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying my opening slide. Who's sitting on this for me, please? Okay. Praise God. Uh, don't worry. I'll be... I, I, would, I would wait for them. All right. I'm talking about the, the, the subject of discipline. Can you help me ask your neighbor one question? Say, are you disciplined? Are you a disciplined person? In the book of Genesis chapter 27, we read about the, the story of um, Esau in Genesis 27. Many of us know the story of Esau and what happened to Esau and how Esau almost like practically lost his birthright and the blessing. And you know that it's difficult to live as a man without your birthright or without the blessing. It's difficult to live without 
the blessing of God upon your life. Esau got to that point where he lost the blessing of God on his life just because of a life that is, you know, undisciplined life. And many people today, we start out in our lives as men. We refuse to look around us for boundaries or put appropriate boundaries around us. So we start out just living anyhow and expecting that somehow, one way or the other, things are going to work out for us, but without really paying attention to the subject of discipline and asking ourselves the question, how do I make sure that I'm living a disciplined life? It was Judge Washington that once said that discipline is the soul of an army. He said it makes small number formidable, it procures success to the weak, and esteem to all. That's, that's discipline. It's, um, it forms in us character. I'm going somewhere, and I need you to follow me very carefully, and I'm going to tell you one or two stories, personal story, as I go on breaking this down. Without the strength of discipline, we stand little chance of reaching our goal or running our lives well. That's the truth. Without the strength of discipline, we, we only stand a little chance of reaching our goal or running our lives well. From time to time in life, we always will need to pause and ask ourselves some questions. And some of those questions are tough to ask. To say, if I'm going to grow up to become the kind of man that I've always dreamt of, or that the people who love me have dreamt of, that I will be, what do I need to put in place right now? How should I be thinking? What should I focus on? You know those questions that I ask? Do you know that many people have the answer to it? Am I saying the truth? Because if I give the opportunity now for people to answer that question, many people will give me answers. The only problem is that many people know the answers, but not many people do them. And the reason why many people don't do what they're supposed to do is because of the lack of discipline to do it. Um, The great poet Scott Peck said discipline is an act, is the act of scheduling pain and pleasure in life. Shadow pain and shadow pleasure. In, in simple words, is play now and pay later. Or pay now and then you pay later. That's how life operates. So I can, I can choose to do something now that is hard and then play later. I can decide to play now and I'm going to pay later. Many people... <laughs> Uh, you find people, I was preaching, I can't remember which country, many years, a few years ago, abroad, and I made a statement that is similar to this, in terms of pay now, pay later. And I said, anytime I see people who are in their late 60s, 70s, who still have to work to eat, sometimes it's a pointer to the fact that they played 
earlier. Because there's a season of life that God does not expect you to walk to be able to eat again. What you will eat has been provided for the rest of your life because you have walked before. You have paid the price before and it's time to play. It's the same thing. Getting into it gradually. Many people are playing now, yet they're preparing to get married, but you're going to pay in marriage. Because what you're supposed to do now so that the marriage will be more interesting, more smoother a ride, you're not doing it now. Are you still with me? I said, are you still with me? So, let's look at different types of discipline. I share three types of discipline. One, preparational discipline. Preparational discipline talks about the discipline of preparing for tomorrow, for next week, for next month, today, for next year, today. We say that success happens when opportunity meets preparation. There's no accidental success. Success only happens, except you are cheating, success happens when opportunity meets preparation. When I prepared for something, and based on my preparation, God gives an opportunity. Good preparation will always prevent poor performance. That's the rule of life. That if I have good preparation, it will prevent poor performance. Proverbs 24 and verse 27, the Bible says, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field. Afterwards, and afterwards, build your house. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field. Afterwards, build your house. So preparational discipline enables us to lay a good foundation for everything in life, whether it's we want to build a house, we want to, want to build a marriage. It's operational discipline that helps us. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, if you are listening to me today, you're hoping to get married next year or year after, but as I speak to you right now, you cannot say, that this is how you are preparing to get married. You lack preparational discipline, simply put. If you are preparing to get married, I mean, you, you, you're thinking of getting married next year, and this year, this old year, 2019, you have not read one book on relationship, one book on relationship, you lack preparational discipline. I mean, we all know because we've all gone through different kinds of schools. That what separates success from failure in academic pursuit is first and foremost how well you prepare by studying. Am I saying the truth? Are we still here? Yeah. How well I prepare by studying. That's the first thing that separates success from failure. And it's a rule of life. When we get out of school, sometimes we'll forget that the next preparation may not be reading, but there's a preparation. Sometimes it's just sitting down with somebody who helps you to shape your perspective, but there's a preparation that is necessary for the next phase of my life and the next phase of your life. Preparation is, is, is very, very key if we're going to make 
I mean, all through the Bible, the Bible is replete with people who prepared for what God wanted to do in their lives. Noah built an ark while there was no rain. But surely, there will always be rain. And the question I'm asking this evening is, what kind of ark are you building for the rain that may come in your career? That may come, the rain that may come in that business pursuit or the rain that may come in that marital desire that you have. There's a need to build and hack. And it always takes a bit of time. Can you imagine, even though I do not believe when God said there will be rain, and you know, time will not permit me to get into it, but uh, some things are worthy of note in that scripture. I think it's Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 6, yeah? Um, one thing that's worthy of note in that scripture is that when God told Noah that it was going to rain, there had never been rain on the earth before. You know, today they tell you, especially if you live in Lagos, that you build an ark that is going to rain. Even the most foolish person will want to do something. It may not be an ark, you shall do something because Lagos rain. <laughs> you've seen rain, you've seen flood, you've seen all that. Can you imagine somebody living at a time where it has not rained on the earth before? So that rain was a strange phenomenon that he did not understand. And God said, build an ark. <laughs> Prepare, because I'm going to send rain. And this rain is going to wipe out everything. You know, I should have said, God, tell me something else. Rain. What's rain? Yeah, rain. There's no rain. The Bible said there that the plant that you found on the earth, it was the dew. With dew that they were growing. There was no rain yet. It has not rained upon the earth before. But yet, Noah believed and decided to build the ark. And we all know what happened eventually. He followed certain precepts. He followed the plan that was given to him. He built the ark according to what God told him. And when the rain will come, Noah was saved and his family because he built the ark. Can you let me tap your neighbor and say it's time to build an ark? In Esther chapter 4, when you read from verse 15, we also read a story, another story of preparation. Esther was supposed to meet with the king, and the Bible says that Esther told the whole of Israel, uh, the Jews there, that go and fast. And even me and my maid will fast and pray. And let's prepare, because I just need one night with the king, and this issue will be resolved. But we need to prepare. And he went and prepared himself for what was ahead of him. The big question I'd like to ask on this preparational discipline tonight is, what, how are you preparing? Can you say you have the discipline of preparation? You know, there, there are people who are given to procrastination. And when we start to procrastinate about important issues of life, it's gross indiscipline. You know there are things you can procrastinate about? <laughs> like, uh, um, I, will, I will eat later. I will eat later. But you procrastinate about filling your, your, your tank. Yeah. You just find yourself stranded on Tommy Land Bridge. Yeah. You own the car. The car is okay. <laughs> you just refuse to put for it. You say, ah, the, the gauge is low. We'll buy it in VI. And then we go to VI, we'll buy it in Oro. In the, after Todd Milan Bridge, you know, <laughs> I mean, all of you are familiar with the, these roads in Lagos here. You will buy it, you know. And then before you know it, that's how some people live their lives. They just get stranded at some point 
And everybody's wondering, how, how, how did you get here? How did you get here? You know, some, some, some of us men here, you wonder why some women struggle to respect some guys. I mean, how do you explain that to your girlfriend if you're dating somebody? You know what the lady will be thinking? So if I was in the car with you, that's how we're going to be stranded together. Said, how many filling stations did you meet on the way? Well, what's wrong with you? That's, I, I hope you're getting what I'm saying. That's the kind of thing that the, the lady will be wondering. Ah, is this how you're going to run my life? And that's why sometimes, you know, it's hot. Uh, some people, you know, talk about ladies in a way like, oh, they're not serious. They want too much. They, 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 they are complaining. Guys, I am blessed with two biological daughters. Like I told you earlier, they are now teenagers. Very soon, I'm expecting that some men will be coming to my house. If your car stops on the road, and it's not a mechanical fault, is that you cannot fuel it and be diligent with it. You can't marry my daughter. <laughs> because, you know, what happens in our physical day-to-day life is a reflection of the foundation of our lives. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. It's a reflection of the foundation of our lives. As simple as the things I'm sharing tonight are, they are foundational stuff that you need to listen to. How well do I take preparatory stuff serious? You know, some people go, <laughs> I have the privilege of interviewing people a lot. In one or two organizations that I lead, um, they will always say, uh, you'll be the last person to see this new hire. And you know, as simple as it is, maybe um, I'm on the board of a business and they said, come and I interview you, or maybe even our foundation here, business foundation, uh, which I chair the board, and we're hiring and say, let me meet this new hire. And I say, what's the vision of this organization? And you don't know it. And you have been in this interview, you have been praying. And they put a call through to you. I'm not the first person to interview you. Maybe all the other people have not asked you. At least you, you should think about, you see, at my level, I don't check for technical skills. I'm not technical in all the many areas where we hire. I check for cultural fit. I check for chemistry. I check for your values. Yeah. If it's a business, I may not discuss faith with you. I just check for your values. If it's church or foundation and all that, I try to see whether there's cultural fit and that you have you have the values of the organization, you are a, also that you are a Christian, if it's church. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. And now you sit in front of me, and you don't even know the core values of the organization. It's on the website. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And you know what, what, what really crosses my mind sometimes when I meet people like that? In my mind, I'm saying, somebody will marry this person. You know in Lagos what we call that? One chance. Guys, I, I, I need you to get what I'm saying tonight. We need to prepare for our future. It takes discipline to make up your mind that you're going to prepare for what is ahead of you. 
if you, if you look into your future, the next 10 years of your life, and you write down three things that are going to define the next 10 years, maybe the border around career or business, the border around, I mean, what God actually told me about this man of series is that I should jack you up in three areas. I told you, Pastor Boale, yeah. And it's three Fs that he gave me. Faith, family, and finance. So in those three areas, faith, family, and finance, in the next 10 years, if you say, what can I see of myself? You should be able to ask the question, how do I prepare? You know the one that most of us like most is finance. So if I pick that one now, and say somebody says, I am 29 now. Before I eat 40, 39, I want to eat my first billion. It's not by mouth. You then need to be able to sit down and say, how is it going to happen? Prayer will help you to think well, but there are some things that you have to prepare for. Yeah. Some things, you know, when I was much younger and I started out um, after school, one of the, the small sense that I had then was that if I work somewhere and I want, and you know, there's a, there are some places you walk that the moment you get in there, you just, you just like the life of your boss. Maybe like your group head or something. You see the person, the way the person dresses, the kind of car the person is driving. You just tell yourself, ah, see a man. And then maybe you now have the opportunity of visiting his house. Or his wife visited the office. You see the babe. Ah, ah. See, only one person. <laughs> He's enjoying all this good house, good everything. Well, you know that we stop there, just admiring all those things. We don't ask ourselves. You need to ask yourself, have I seen a CV before? When, I mean, you should look for the opportunity to see a CV. And check that CV. And say, what is the gap? between my CV and this CV, and how long can it take me to match up to this level of qualifications? That's what I'm talking about. Those are the kind of things I'm talking about. Because every other thing is like wanting God to do magic. Yeah. Your prayer, if you're praying to God, the Lord move me to this level, that prayer should open doors for you to be able to um, get a qualification that he, he has. Maybe somebody will pay for you or something, but they're not going to bring it to you at home. But you already see where you need to match up to. Is somebody stay with me tonight? That's what God expects from us when it comes to preparational discipline. Secondly, is um, emotional discipline. Emotional discipline. And I'll take the last one and I'll stop so we can go into question and answer. Emotional discipline. When we extend the use of our emotions to the areas of life that God has not created emotions to function, we start to abuse or misuse our emotions. Emotions help us to celebrate life and adapt to losses. And like I said, when we extend their job description to include areas like 
you know, marriage, work, worship, and some other areas, we start to find trouble. How do I mean? There are good emotions, positive emotions, there are negative emotions. Many people pander towards negative emotions than positive emotions. Positive emotion, joy, emotion, I mean, uh, gratitude, peace, you know, and all that. Negative emotion, anger, worry, anxiety, lack of trust, bitterness, all those kind of things. When negative emotions overwhelm you all the time, it means that you lack emotional discipline. And when, you, when life is lived on the basis of feeling, you know, many people just want to live their life on the basis of feeling only. Then disillusionment and self-destruction become our lot. When our life is lived only on the basis of feeling, feeling, how we feel. You know, if it's based on how you feel, for some people here, you wouldn't have gone to work this morning. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. You just feel like, let me just sleep the whole day. The way I feel right now, I just feel like sleeping. You know that days that are Sunday mornings, That I just feel like sleeping. As a pastor, the first service starts at 7 a.m. I just feel like sleeping. Yeah. If it's by feeling, they will just be looking for me in church. They won't find me. <laughs> what am I saying? Emotional discipline says that my life cannot be lived only on the basis of feeling, of my feeling. Only on the basis of my feeling. When you live your life only on the basis of feeling, it's bound to be a failure. Because your feelings are not relevant when it comes to paying your bills. I don't know if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You can't tell your landlord, I don't feel like paying my rent. The landlord will say, I don't feel like keeping you here. <laughs> it's simple. Yeah. I don't feel like keeping you here, so you have to. So what I'm saying is that to man up, to be the kind of man that God expects you and I to be, we must have emotional discipline. Refuse to live our lives on the basis of feeling alone. It has to be more than feeling. It has to be something extra. I have to be able to know what to do at the right time and to engage rationality and to know that I need to honor contracts and obligation. It's not about feeling. I, I, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying tonight. Yeah, I need to be able to honor obligations. Now, let me stretch this a little bit more. Especially when you start to um, get into strong work ethic or relationships. It places a lot of demand on your emotions. That if you don't have emotional control, you start to fail. Like you see people who have a very large ego and, uh, I mean, as a young man, you, you, nobody can talk to you, you know. So your boss sends you an email and the email you feel is condescending, 
and you just send a stinker. You've lost your job because you cannot control your emotion. Yeah. And then it gets into a relationship too. I know, I will bear my mind. I will bear my mind. I say it as it is and I say what is in my mind. Yeah. Have you heard people say that before? You know, it sounds good, but it's very foolish. Because the Bible says it's only a stupid man that's, that reveals everything in his heart. Yeah. You can't say, I, I, I know, I'll bear my mind. I'll say my own. You know what happens? You win an argument, but you lose a friend. And that's how we fail in life. When you start to win an argument, but lose a friend. So, if you want to run your relational life well, you must always tell yourself, I'm in control of my emotions. When you're talking too much, you should know. You should say, no, no, okay, that's, that's okay. That's okay. When you should not talk at all, you should know. Because there's an appropriate time to talk. There's an appropriate time to reveal my feeling. I'm not saying you should bury your feeling all the time, but emotional control and emotional discipline is what determines when, I mean, I'm in control. The situation is not controlling me. In fact, you know, when I'm teaching married people, I say this. When a man says, my wife got me angry and I beat her. You are seeing an emotional child. Have you seen children before? The way they throw tantrums? If you are not a child, now I will start rolling on the floor for you here now. Yeah. Or roll, roll, and make noise. And yeah. That's how some people, <laughs> some people that some of you <laughs> respect, that's how they behave in their houses as married men. And I'm saying, do you, I don't want you to be like that when you get married. <laughs> Say amen, everybody. Yeah. Now you cannot even take, just a woman just say something small to you. Why? Why? Both. Yeah. That's how, that's how many men, you just say, it's me. Is it me you're talking to like that? It's me you're talking to like that. Huh. That's an emotional child. Do you know the truth? Some people started, I mean, stopped growing emotionally at age 12. I'm telling you the truth. That's what happens with, to some people. I'm helping you to understand some of your friends that misbehave. Why they misbehave? They stopped. They, are, they may be 32 right now, but they stopped growing emotionally 20 years ago. Yeah. That's the explanation to some of us when you see how grown-up men misbehave. It's lack of emotional discipline stemming out of lack of emotional growth and maturity. It's one thing for you to mature physically. It's another thing for you to mature emotionally. Many people are not mature, mature emotionally. And without emotional maturity, you won't be able to cope with people. And you need people to fulfill destiny, whether at home or at work. Are we still together? Yeah. You need people to fulfill destiny. We are created for connection, not isolation. When the Bible says it's not good that man should be alone, it's not only for marriage. It's in every area of life. You can't run a company alone. You can't run a project alone. The same way you can't have a family alone. So you need emotional discipline if you're going to be able to cope with people. In the book of Psalms, chapter 43, verse 5, the writer of that psalm was speaking to himself. And look at what he said. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Open God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, my God. It comes to a time in the life of a person who wants to grow emotionally that you check on yourself emotionally. When you're getting angry, you're telling yourself, getting angry. Yeah. Like here, the psalmist said, why are you cast down, oh my soul? He was speaking to himself. He was trying to put his emotions in check and check it, you know. I've been talking about one side of it. The other side of it is how people just lose it when something bad happens. And get into depression and all that. You know, we live in an age where mental health has become a big deal. The beginning of mental health, except for people who have it maybe as hereditary or uh, something genetic, or if it's based on stress and what we go through in life, the truth is that all of us go through stuff. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. But the beginning of mental health is emotional indiscipline. The beginning of lack of mental health is emotional indiscipline. Where everything that happens to you in life is big and must weigh you down. Are we still together? Yeah. Real men cry. But they cry and move on. They don't cry and sink there. In uh, is it first Samuel, second Samuel 30, where uh, David left his men at Ziklag and they went there and burnt everything, I mean, left women and children, burnt everything down, carried their women and their children away. Uh, he said, uh, when he got back from that battle and they saw what they had done, they started crying. The Bible says that his men who were around him, the thought on their mind was to stone him as a coconut head leader. We should have left some people here to take care of these women and children, to protect them. We all left and left them here. That's why the enemy came and routed everything, carried them away, burnt everything down. But you know what happened? The Bible says, and David, look at 1 Samuel uh, 30 there, verse 3. They carried everything. But uh, there's a verse I'm looking for there where the Bible says, David encouraged himself in the Lord is God when you go down, further down. David, after weeping, then he then woke up to reality and then started to display emotional maturity. And David started to encourage himself in the Lord is God. And then what he started to ask questions. Should we pursue? Will we overcome? Will we recover all? And then God told them, pursue. You will overcome. You will recover all. There are some people who never recover from for one incident. Just one. Look at that. David inquired of the Lord and spoke uh, the, the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. That's emotional discipline. Emotional discipline. Strengthened himself, and the Lord is God. A woman walked out of your life, and everybody must console you. Yeah. You're not the first. See, I dated somebody. From university, till we left university, and the girl told me that she's not doing it again. I was still sharing with somebody in our office today about it. It pained me. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It pained me. I went, went to their house. I begged her, did everything. She said she has found somebody else. Ah, 
can you be telling me? Instead of you to even say that there's no issue, me, I just want to move on, you know, both of us just finished university and we're just struggling and, you know, something like that. She told me categorically that she has found somebody else. <laughs> well, you know, how this thought came to my mind today was I started to think, somebody was asking me a question, you know, the Better Half series that I do. If you're on Twitter, follow me. Um, you know, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, addressing a particular topic tomorrow, but every Friday, you know, I address a topic. And I was preparing for some of it ahead of time, and the question was, um, is it okay to attend my ex's wedding? Yeah. And as I was doing it today, writing that today, I just started to internalize it, because I remember that I attended my ex's wedding 18 years ago. Yeah. And I was telling the person with me as well, writing that, that ah, I, I'm trying to remember the emotions. Yeah. And the feelings. But I, I, I was telling myself, it looked like I'd mastered this thing a long time ago. Because, you know, people were literally wanting to tell me sorry at the wedding. But when they saw the way I was drinking Coke, and I was very happy, <laughs> nobody bothered yeah, to... Yeah, they knew that I was fine. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. You can't kill yourself because of one woman. Yeah, one woman. There are too many women in this world. <laughs> yeah. Too many women in the world today than for you to allow that to sink you. Yeah. You lost an opportunity maybe for a job or something, Somebody's listening to me right now. You, you were denied a visa, maybe to go abroad to study or to get an opportunity or something. That's not the end of the world. Praise up emotionally. A man's going to do what a man's got to do. What a man's got to do is to progress, to move forward against all odds. And not to become an emotional wreck because of one setback. We have to bounce back from setback. So whether emotional, I mean, whether relationally or career-wise, if you have suffered any setback this year, this is the 10th month of this year, I need to understand there's a whole decade ahead of you. <laughs> One year is not enough to sink me. Yeah. I have many more years ahead of me that God can use to do many more things in my life. <laughs> Praise God. But I must make up my mind. I want to be emotionally disciplined. I am not a feeling. I'm a spirit. I'm not a feeling, I'm a spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Not as many as are led by their feelings. Yeah. I may not feel good about something, but if it's the best thing to do, I do it. Not many people feel good about taking injection. But that's what, if that's what you need to grow or to be healed, you take it. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Not many people feel good from walking away from somebody that you like. Or that you felt that you're going to do life together forever. But come off it. If something is not working, there's a necessary ending to it. Yeah. And necessary endings precede new beginnings. Without necessary ending, you can't have a new beginning. It takes emotional discipline to draw the line. Yeah. And you know in mathematics, when you draw the line, 
you have to get an answer. And if the answer is no way, there's no way. You move on. You still with me tonight? You move on. Lastly, the discipline of appetite. Discipline of appetite. The man Solomon wrote something in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. And it looks like this is how Lagos guys leave. You put that up for me. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Look at what Solomon wrote there. He said, whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. That's why he had a thousand women in his life. Because he said, I do not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There is no profit under the sun. You know, we're getting close to weekend. We go on Admiralty Road. We go on Ozumba. Going to Victoria Island. All the clubs there will start bubbling. Maybe from tonight into tomorrow into weekend. And most of the guys that go there, the, the motive of going there is that I have worked. And I want to enjoy the labor of my hand. Am I saying the truth? But that's a good way to enjoy the labor of your hand, and that's a bad way to enjoy it. You cannot read what this guy wrote here, what Solomon wrote here, and not know that this is a bad way to enjoy the labor of your hand. Because he said, anything that my eyes say, I do not withhold from it. Anything that makes me feel good, I do it. Yeah, I just do. The discipline of appetite is a very, very important one. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we also read about the story of Daniel. If you compare Daniel and Solomon there, you will see a wide gap. Daniel, the Bible says, but Daniel proposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You know, some people claim to have faith. If Daniel was just claiming to have faith, he was a, a, um, a, in Babylon as a... Um, um, what do you call them? Like a refugee or uh -huh. and um, captive in Babylon, in captivity. And then the king selected a few of them and he said, those Hebrew boys, um, prepare them. And prepare them in the way of Babylon. Give them everything they want. Let them eat what I eat and eat, you know, and all that. With the wisdom of Babylon and everything in Babylon. And Daniel said, no. I'm a Hebrew boy. And it's the God of the Hebrews that will give me wisdom and give me everything. So I'm going to prove it is that I'm going to deny myself of all these delicacies. And you know what happens? The Bible says after many days they came, Daniel was fresher and looking better, faring better. But you know some people's faith today, terrible faith. You know you can say you have faith. Uh, I'll eat this. Nothing will happen. It's like the story of the woman in one video on YouTube that was making the rounds many years ago. That sat with, you know, King Burger and all that different food and say, in the name of Jesus, I speak to the calorie here. I cast you out right now and I declare that this meal is zero calorie. In the name that's above every name. 
in the name of Jesus. And they carry the thing and was eating it. And he says, God does not cast out calories. Yeah. If you are watching your weight, then you watch your appetite. I hope you are still with me today. Yeah, it's very, it's very simple. God doesn't cast out calories. Or he, he doesn't, <laughs> God is not interested. It's wisdom that it takes. Yeah, it's wisdom that it takes. Appetite, appetite, you know, for food, for drink, for sex. They're all God-given. But they cannot be allowed to rule our lives. Because eating is different from gluttony. And drinking is different from drunkenness. And making love in marriage is different from having, I mean, being promiscuous. It's the same appetite, but you have control of it. You know, one of the, one of the things that singles struggle with the most right now is the appetite, controlling the appetite for sex. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. But what most people don't understand is that if we refuse to master that appetite, we will refuse to master many other appetites that we need for destiny, for fulfillment of destiny. Because the attitude of some people about it is as if, uh, ah, who did I offend? What it is? Boy meet girl. Girl that is too set, you know. Very beautiful girl. And we're together. There's chemistry, there's biology. There has to be physics now. <laughs> you know, that's the way some people think. And it's just like, no, I didn't offend anybody. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I mean, and we're all adults, you know, that kind of thing. But if you want to be a Christian man, and you want to build a foundation of trust in your relationship, you have to ask yourself, where's the discipline of appetite? Because the same way I could not hold myself back in this, there will be a day, even after I've gotten married, that somebody will be working with me in the office. That will be even setter, if there's a word like that, than this. And, <laughs> and I, will, I may not be able to also control this appetite, and then I get into trouble. Are you still with me today? Yeah. I don't care who you marry or who you are dating right now. Maybe dating the most beautiful woman in the world. God has not stopped creating. Yeah. Yeah. When you are in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you still see more beautiful women. That's the truth. You know, it's wisdom to, to remind yourself that God is still creating every day. Yeah. He has not stopped. So you are going to meet more women, more beautiful women. When you become empowered, and you become the CEO of your company, and you're in your 50s, they will hire 23-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> when they hire 23-year-olds to come and walk under you, walk around your office, and your wife has entered menopause. I'm just painting a picture for you. If you have not mastered The discipline of appetite in the area of managing chemistry, managing your sexuality, you will get into trouble with God, first and foremost, and with the ethics of your organization. You know there are old men today, there are young men, are chasing them with guns. 
for running after their girlfriend. So you can imagine, after you have worked with your life, you have made money, you have built a company, a 25-year-old is sending you texts that if you pass Osborne today, I'll shoot you. <laughs> because what you are supposed to master in your 30s, you refuse to master it 20, 30 years later, is showing up in your life. Some people have lost their marriages in their 60s because of promiscuity, consistent. The woman is frustrated and the woman just told herself, I, I can't live the rest of my life like this. I've managed with this for so long. If I have 20 more years, let me leave it in peace. I don't want any young lady to be talking to me anyhow and somebody texting me and somebody, you know, and they just pack their load and go. So when you see some men, old men, yeah, randy old men, living alone in their 60s, it was because they refused to deal with something earlier. And that's why we're Christians. Our stories should not end like that. The Holy Spirit has been sent to us as our helper. He can help us to rearrange our lives and deconstruct mindsets that are giving us problems and help us to live a stable life as a Christian man. That's the plan of God for you and I. And that's why I'm encouraging everyone here today that we focus on mastering the discipline of our appetite. The reason why many die with their gift in them is because they presume on talent and expect gifts to create success. But talent is not enough. You need to master the different disciplines of life. The loss of discipline will always signal the death of a dream. Many dreams have been buried just because of lack of discipline. Some people carry the greatest musical talent that we I mean, that is available on the face of the universe today. But the discipline of preparation or practice is what is ruining, I mean, that talent. Some people have the best person that you are dating right now. But that relationship may not work. Not because God is not in it, but because you are not disciplined. It's simple. So a lot of times people ask me, why do relationships fail? When, especially when people say they are prayed and they felt that God was leading them. It has nothing to do with God. God led you into it. But the fact that you are given something does not mean that you are going to be able to use it well if you don't have the discipline on how to handle it. Am I saying the truth? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very simple. So lastly today, uh, put my last slide. I want you to spot the difference, if you can read what's on the screen. Spot the difference. On the left hand, who is the odd one out? Geazi, why? <laughs> huh? Greed. You know what Geazi's boss told him? Elisha. Geazi went and met uh, the Syrian general that came to meet his boss, Elisha, the prophet in the Bible, and collected a gunje money. I mean, bribe or whatever, gift from the guy that his boss had already refused. Then he went after the man and said, my boss said I should. he bring everything. Yeah. And what he didn't know that he was dealing with a real prophet. Because when he got back, he didn't have to, the prophet did not see anything. He just called him. I said, didn't my spirit go with you? When you went to waylay the general on the way? And the prophet told him, he said, is it time to be collecting things? That means the time will come. All you need is ability to delay gratification. 
which is the discipline of appetite or emotional discipline, delay gratification. That's where some of us are right now. Can you hear me look at yourself? Look at your neighbor for me and tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor, please. Say, you will have more than enough sex when you get married. It's not time. The way Gehazi told Elisha, I mean, Elisha told Gehazi, that's what I'm telling you right now. Yeah. See, there's a time they will be using it to beg you. And you say, I'm too busy. No, I don't have time. No, no, no. This one now, they are chasing women all over the place. They're not focusing on your work. No, it's true now. They're not focusing on your work. There's a time where, as in, they will be begging you. Yeah. Rather than leaving your work, leaving the exam you want to write, leaving, you know, preparing for a project, you are, you are on a project. The project is already failing gradually. Yet, you are still on WhatsApp. Say, baby, 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 I can't do without you. You can't do without her. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You just need to be disciplined because some things are important for a particular time if we will realize our dreams. May your dreams not be buried. In the name of the Lord Jesus. May God's vision for your life come to pass. In the precious name of Jesus. May God's grace over your life not be frustrated. In the precious name of Jesus. Lastly today, if there's anyone here who may, be, who may feel like I, my indiscipline has brought me into a corner in life, has boxed me. I feel I have made some bad mistakes. You know the story of Esau in Genesis 27? Esau made a bad mistake. He sold his birthright to his brother. Before he came, Jacob already collected it and left. When he came back in Genesis 27, he went to meet his father Isaac. The Bible says his father Isaac was trembling. when He, he said, are you Esau? He said, ah, the man in his old age was trembling because he felt he had been shortchanged and he had done the wrong thing. I mean, he couldn't help it. Esau cried, bless me also, my father. Bless me. Don't you have any more blessing? And his father looked at him and said, uh-uh. The Bible says when, the Bible says he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away the blessing. Give me the next verse. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob uh, um, and all that? He was regretting. Give me the next verse. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I've made him your master, and all his brethren have given to him as servant. With grain and wine, I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Esau looked at this and thought, Is this the end of my life? Because his father said, I've given, you are going to serve him. I've given, yeah. You made a bad mistake. There's hope for somebody here who may have made a bad mistake. This is where I'm going. I want you to follow me next. So, uh, um, and Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. But look at the response. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the heart. That sounds like a blessing to me. And of the dew of heaven from above. Look at the next part. 
By your sword, you shall live. So you'll be, you have to struggle a bit. And you shall serve your brother. And it shall, but this is one I like. But it shall come to pass when you become restless. Then you shall break his yoke from your neck. I just want to encourage somebody as I stop this teaching tonight. That even if you have made the greatest mistake born out of indiscipline. Because that was what happened to Esau there. There's still a chance. And that chance comes when you become restless. When you come to that point where you know that there's nothing that God cannot turn around. When you come to that point where you know that our God is indeed a God of mercy. When you come to that point when you know that God's plan over your life cannot be destroyed by one mistake. One moment of indiscretion cannot destroy God's plan over your life. What his father told him here is, my son, all you need is to grow. When you grow, you will break his yoke from off your neck. One translation says, when you have become fat, you will break his yoke from off your neck. You know, in the days that scripture was written, it was talking about the way they yoke animals. They put something on their neck and connect them together. And he said, I've made you subservient to your brother. But one thing that will happen, if you can continue to grow and remain restless and not settle for what is not your portion and not settle for the repercussion of one mistake, that yoke will snap and you'll be all right. That was exactly what happened to Esau. When Jacob came back, time will not permit me to get into it. When Jacob came back, you know what happened? Jacob was coming back from Laban's house. God has blessed him. He packed, in modern day, he had trailers of all kinds of goodies and then nice cars, Bugattis and Bentleys. Yeah, BMWs, he rolled them out and he said, I'm going to give my brother the best gift to appease him. Because I know I stole his birthright. Though, based on his indiscretion, because he could not control his appetite, but I will just appease him. Because if he thought Esau will be very angry, because Esau will be very poor and angry, and we want to kill him, we we'll give him all those gifts. When Esau met them and saw, and he asked him, My brother, what are all this for? Ah, I said, It's for you, my Lord. Esau said, I don't need them. Because God has blessed me too. Yeah. Esau didn't take all those things from him. He was too blessed to be collecting those things. His life has been redefined. Hope is not lost. God doesn't write anybody off. Are you still here today? Yeah. I don't care what anyone here may have done or where you may have been or things that you may have attempted or lack of discipline. I mean, lack of discipline that may have almost wrecked you. The case can be worse as in than that of Esau because Esau lost an opportunity of a lifetime because of his indiscipline and indiscretion. I want everybody to stand. Stand on your feet. Just for a short time, I want us to pray and perhaps I'll minister to one or two people and then we'll spend uh, the next 15 minutes or so just to take some questions before we go. Lift your two hands to Jesus today and say, Lord, I commit the next 10 years of my life into your hand. You know tomorrow, I don't. I just put it in your hand. I know you have a plan for my life. For my career. 
my business, my academic pursuit, my marital destiny. You have a plan. You have a plan. I, I choose to align myself with your plans. As I stand in your presence tonight, I choose to align myself with your plans and not my plan. Your plan and not mine. Your plan and not mine. I humble myself in your presence tonight. Somebody needs to pray, Lord, give me grace to humble myself. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to prepare. Anything that will stop me from fulfilling or maximizing my, my, my destiny in the next decade ahead of me. Tonight, Lord, I submit myself to you. I ask that you walk in me, walk through me. Give me wisdom. Help me to see what is ahead of me. Teach me to know how to prepare, what to do. Help me to know what to do, how to prepare. Somebody needs to talk to God tonight. Lord, I want to be a good man. I want to be a good man. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. That's my desire. I want to be a good father, a good husband. Yeah, I want to be a man after your heart. That's my desire. I want to be a role model. And tonight I receive grace to live a life of discipline. I receive grace to live a life of discipline. I receive grace to live a life of discipline. Prepare me for what you have prepared for me. Prepare me for what you have prepared for me. Prepare me for what you have prepared for me. Mandrabo shatika radagaba satayaba. Roko soso prehika legebo shatahana. Raka sasa tu prahane ridegebo Somebody speak to God tonight. Speak to God tonight. Speak to God tonight. I wanted to sing maybe the first stanza of Oceans. Yeah. You it's... called me out upon the water The great unknown The feet made fair It's a song of faith as we see our future ahead of us. There I find you in the So I
when oceans, when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. I will call upon your name and I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the wind and keep my eyes above the wind when no to start to pray, Lord, make your vision for my life clearer. I don't want to walk in darkness. Lead me to walk on water. Make the vision of my, for my life clearer to me. Guide my steps. I want you to pray to God tonight. Guide my steps. I want to walk into the fullness of your will for my life. Help me to understand the next 10 years, the next 20 years. Help me to walk into purpose, walk into favor, walk into your design for my life. Walk into a life of fulfillment. Walk into a martyr destiny that is fulfilling. Walk into a home that is filled with peace and joy. Lord, shine your light upon my path. Shine your light upon my heart. Help me to see you. Help me to see you and all that you do and all that you've gone ahead to do. Lead me to the places where you are going. Lead me to the places where you are going. Wherever you are not, I don't want to be there. Whatever opportunity that's not from you, I don't want to embrace them. Whatever plan that is not for my life, I don't want to walk into them. Whatever door that you have not opened, I don't want to walk through them. Lead me to walk into only the doors that you are opening. In the precious name of Jesus. I love to pray. Just two prayers. The first one. There's anyone here tonight. You feel like. You know where. I ended. My presentation. On, on the this, this story of Esau. Maybe there's something. The devil is using against you. To say look. You. You scattered it there. You wasted that opportunity but you messed up there and forget it maybe you will not be able to go beyond a particular level again I want to pray for you tonight there are no ceilings under mercy 
wherever the mercy of God is flowing, it, re it removes ceilings, breaks glass ceilings. Is anyone here tonight, you have any experience that can be comparable to that and you feel that it has created a limitation in your heart? I want you to come, come, come right now. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we can you see sing mercy says no. Thank you, Jesus. Mercy Lift your two hands to him all over this place. The mercy of God is flowing. Sing on, sing on. Mercy is flowing here. Mercy prevails over every judgment of the devil. Over these lives. Every handwriting of ordinance that is written against you. Tonight, as the one who has authority in Christ Jesus, I cancel every of such ordinance. In the name of Jesus. The voice of mercy is speaking over your life. In the name of Jesus. By the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Every voice of vengeance that may be sounding over your destiny. Every voice of revenge that may be sounding over your destiny. Tonight, I stand in my authority in Christ Jesus and I cancel every such voices in the name of Jesus. And I declare tonight the voice of grace, the voice of mercy, the voice of restoration is booming over your destiny. I declare a new beginning for you in the name of the Lord Jesus. The mercy of God is greater than your error. The mercy of God is greater than your mistake. And I declare tonight that the hand of Jehovah comes upon you afresh. Where 
they have dropped the line for you based on whatever you may have done wrong whether it's your conscience drawing the line is the devil drawing the line the mercy of God is greater than your conscience the mercy of God is greater than the devil and I decree tonight lines are removed every one of you cross over every line in the name of the Lord Jesus glass ceilings are broken in the name of Jesus and I decree tonight that you walk into your destiny enjoy mercy enjoy favor enjoy new beginnings enjoy open heavens in the name of Jesus Father we thank you Lord we give you glory and praise put your hands together celebrate Jesus celebrate Jesus you can go back to your seat wave your hands to Jesus all over this place Lord we bless you I'm not gonna let you sleep away. You don't have to be afraid. Mercy said no. Sin will never take control. Life will dare to face to face. Darkness tries to steal. My heart away. Mercy said no. Thank you, Jesus. Tonight, I'd love to pray for anyone here who may be saying, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and personal Savior. Or maybe you said the prayer before, but you know you're backsliding to sin. Sin separates us from God. That's what it does. God's plan for you is that you live in the Spirit. You enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not a life of separation from God. I'd love to pray for you tonight. Wherever you may be in this auditorium, I just want you to remain where you are. But if you love to pray with me, put your hand on your heart and let me pray with you. I want to come back to Jesus. I think I'm too far away from God. I need a new beginning. Just put your hand on your heart. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Your hand is on your heart. I want to say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I come to you tonight. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need a savior. Say tonight, I ask that you forgive me my sins and that you cleanse me from every unrighteousness. I receive you tonight as my Lord and my personal savior. I fully dedicate my life to you. Take this life of mine. Use it for your glory. I release it to you. I declare tonight, I'm a child of God. I'm born again. In the name of Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for everyone saying this prayer with me tonight. I ask that you start something new in their life. Renew, restore. In the name of Jesus. Bring them back into fellowship with you. Let your grace be multiplied over their life and give them a new beginning from this moment forward in Jesus' name. You are blessed tonight. Put your hands together. Celebrate Jesus. Please, you may have your seat. Have a seat. We're going to take a few questions before we bring this uh, gathering to an end. And as we take the, the questions, uh, I want each and every one of us to know um, if you... Uh, prayed with me tonight, um, people who came out here, 
and hand has come to that thing, God has obliterated it. Whatever it is, is in God's record, it does not exist again. It is called in law, discharged and acquainted. Yeah, completely. It's, um, we're not going to go back to it again. Yeah, God says it's over. So you live your life in, the, in that realization and in that newness. And if you just give your life to Christ tonight, I want to also encourage you to make sure that you come into consistent fellowship with God. Um, right here where we are is our Life Point Church, which is uh, a church for um, mostly single people, young adults, probably mobile young adults. You can be a part of Life Point Church, and you can um, also be a part of any of our Elevation Church um, expressions all around the city. And um, from me, a special invitation to all of you. I know maybe Pastor Boale will still talk about it. Special invitation to all of you to our next men's event, which is our men's conference. It's a one-day conference that we hold on Saturday the 15th, 16th, Saturday the 16th of November. Um, if you are in this city that day, please don't miss it for anything. Yeah, the people who will be speaking along with me are people that I honor and respect so much. Uh, they are elders in the faith, elders in life, astute businessmen who are now in their 60s and who know life and who have seen life. And they're going to be speaking to us, you know, helping of us to deconstruct any construction that will not take us to where we're going so that we can uh, surpass them and be greater than them. So please mark your calendar, Saturday, 16th of November. It's just about three weeks from now. It's a men's conference, men of honor conference this year at the Elevation Church, and it will hold at Pieces Conference Center at the main church. So I, I want you to mark your calendar and make sure you're there. We're going to send you reminders uh, about it. But except maybe exigencies of work taking you out of the city, that's the only reason why you should miss the conference. I, I promise you, your life will never remain the same again. Praise God. All right. Uh, Pastor Bali, I already did take a, a, a few questions before we go. Yeah. We can take one or two live yes, whilst sir. people are still writing. Yeah. Okay. So if there's um, anyone, I can so see a take, hand there. Yeah. Okay. Okay, please make it straight to the point. Just go straight to the question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm the one that commented on your page last uh, yesterday. Yeah. Thank you for coming. What's your name? Timothy. Timothy, okay. So, question. so I've been to many things like, I'm at the rock bottom in my life right now. But I see after you have read Branchese book, self-discipline, all that, but I need somebody. I need somebody I can be accounted to, somebody that... Like, I want somebody. I, I can't afford to pay a coach, so I need somebody. Okay. So that's, 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 this is a good place to be, and that's why these men are here tonight. Um, the two of them are here, and that's part of the reason why they're here, uh, to, to support me and connect with some of you who may need, you know, just any kind of accountability, any kind of, um, you know, encouraging hand. Yeah, so after now, we're here. Right? Yeah. Praise God. Let's appreciate Timothy. Yeah. One, one life question. Any life question again? Um, nobody wants to go live. Good evening. Good evening. Oh, okay. My name is Tangot. I've been in elevation since 2011, and I'm a member 
but at a time, a bus light, and I went back to the village. And I've tried so hard for so many years to come back to that standard. I want to ask PG, how do I do it? Because I've been struggling so hard to come back to the standard that I was in my prayer, reading my Bible, and other stuff. Thank you. Let's thank God for thank God. Um, thank God, I, I think you, you also need engagement. You see, one of the things that we need to understand as men is that we need to understand the place of mentoring and coaching if we're going to go far in life. And even in our spiritual development, the scriptural a pattern of development, of faith development is discipleship. Jesus had 12. He discipled them for three years. They burned down the whole world with the gospel. Yeah. They were so consumed with it, they were willing to lay down their life for it. And the measure of a man is what you are willing to die for. Yeah. So, the, the many people walk past people who can help them succeed, whether in the things of the spirit, in the things of physical, and we, we don't recognize it. And that's what, part of the thing, the, the reason why I'm conveying this gathering and some of the things that we're going to be discussing from time to time when we come together, as, I mean, as single men. I'm a product of mentorship. Yeah. I make bold to say it. I'm not sure I would have been able to achieve one third of what I can boast of today under God, if not for mentorship, accountability, and all that. You know the truth? This is our head. It's not configured to be correct 24-7. But you can put yourself in certain accountability mode that help you when you see anybody behaving well, it's not natural to them. Sometimes they put themselves in a mode that will make, help them to get used to certain way of life, and then after a while, it becomes a pattern. As human beings, we're creatures of habit. Anytime, anything that you want to do well, you put yourself in a mode where you can do it perhaps without thinking about it. That's when it's, a, it's become a habit. And at that point, it, you stop struggling about it. Yeah. From as simple as waking up in the morning and laying your bed. You say if you do it for 30 days on, with somebody holding you accountable, after a while, you do it without thinking about it. Am I saying the truth? And it's the same, even in our spiritual development. So, um, don't let me, you, you help me hold, thank God, strong on that matter uh, because we all need accountability. We need mentoring. We need people to hold us accountable. Most of the time, what we realize is that many people cannot endure the rigor of accountability. Yeah. And that's why many people fail. All right. Okay. Um, let me just read two questions yeah. from here. 
Um, somebody says, evening, sir. I've been having issues forming new habits that will help me fulfill my destiny. Um, so um, how, how, can I, how can I form new habits so that new habits that would help me for my destiny? This person says, how does one build a plan, uh, prepare spiritually, so that progress is uh, measurable? Okay, um, how do you build new habits? I think it's first and foremost deciding what the new habit is. Many people focus on the bad habit that they're dealing with, and they don't know in life uh, there's no vacuum. So if you have not decided what the new habit is, that will be an exchange. Yeah. I've, had, uh, I've had friends, as simple as this sound, I've had friends who have been able to deal with smoking just by replacing it with something like Tom Tom. So I have a friend, when he was dealing with smoking, all he did was to buy plenty of Tom Tom and he's always having it in his pocket. In fact, when, when, when we became friends, I didn't know that that was why he was always having Tom Tom in his mouth until after a couple of years of friendship and one day he was giving a testimony of how and I'd known him for like a couple of years before he gave that testimony of how he broke that habit. Yeah. He, he just said, he gave his life to Christ and he just told himself, I just want to stop smoking. And he said, look, anytime I feel the urge to smoke, I'll put something in my mouth. And after a period of time, he stopped. And I still know him till today. I'm talking, telling you about a story of 20 years ago when he gave that testimony. I still know him till today. And it's still, it's not back to smoking. So how do you form new habits? Can you identify the new one, the, the more progressive one, the one that will help you? And then let's start to think about when that switch, that replacement will happen. Yeah. When I was an undergrad, um, it was, you know, there's time-wasting habits. The places that people go in the evening. But what some of us did was to turn everything around. You feel like going to this place, doing X, Y, Z. What's the better use of that time? And who are the people that can encourage me to use that time that way? So there's a lot that goes around, a lot around changing habits. One is identifying the new habit. Two is identifying the person or the people that I need to engage with, with who are doing the thing that I want to do, because a lot of the time it's easier to do some things when you have company or you have encouragement. Am I, am I saying the truth? Yeah. So that's how you start to build it gradually, working under you know, some measure of accountability or within the group. We don't grow in isolation. We grow in community. We grow in groups. That's why God created family. Have you thought about it? You know, we can just be dropping from heaven. When God created the first man, there was no family. Yeah. But through the first man, he instituted family, which is the first institution. And from that point, nobody is permitted to drop here without passing through a family. And what's the purpose of family is to create a conducive community for someone to be nurtured, for someone to grow. 
But we live in a city where if care is not taken, you're so busy, you cut off yourself from every positive influence. Yeah. And when you think about fun, then you remember negative influences and you go in that path. And it's ruining the life of many young people, young men today. I have to make up my mind what community I belong to, what group I want to belong to, and what will it add to my life, and how will it help me to grow. The habits that some of us want to build right now, there are people who are already living with that habit. If I connect, if I stay closer, if I walk closer, if I locate them, as I locate a new habit, I locate somebody who is doing it or who understands how to do it and who can hold me accountable to it, it will be a piece of cake building it. I mean, it may not be as easy as I describe it, but it's going to happen definitely if you stay committed to it. Are you still with me tonight? Very, very important. And then somebody said... Um, um, plan for... How do you be a plan to prepare spiritually and uh, such that progress is measurable? How, how, how do you build a plan to, um, to grow spiritually and then progress is measurable? See, for everything in life, there are fundamentals. If you want to learn English, you learn the alphabet and consonants and vowels, the sounds. Yeah. The rest, you start to piece it together. For everything, there's, there are fundamentals. If you want to learn mathematics, you learn numbers. And then you learn how to deal with the signs. Positive, negative, you know, all that, division. That's the basic. The basics. Am I saying the truth? The same thing in, in the spirit. As newborn babes desire the sincere makeup of the world that you may grow. That's what the scripture says. The first certain point with spiritual growth is new birth. Am I saved? So if I'm born again, I have been born. I need to grow. And I need food. And I need community, encouragement. Yeah, I need someone. So the first thing is my attitude towards the word of God. I was telling my daughters, I think our devotion this morning or so. I told them, I said... How you measure whether somebody is alive in the spirit or dead in the spirit is called hunger. A dead man is not hungry for food. The same thing in the things of the spirit. If you have lost your appetite for the truth of God's word, maybe you are no longer alive in the spirit, sincerely. Yeah. So I was describing this for my daughter. I said, do you know how uh, children, young children, cry for food? If you are not crying for food, spiritual food that way, something is wrong with you. You are looking at me like this. <laughs> something is wrong with you because you need to be able to. There has to be hunger in your heart. So to grow spiritually, the starting point is how do I nurture the hunger that God has placed there and I refuse to make it die. There's a way I can live my life that I will lose my appetite for the word of God for the things of the spirit consistently. There's a company I can put myself, a group of people I can put myself in. I will not have any appetite for anything spiritual. I need to mind my company. I need to mind what is going on around me. I need to understand what I need to cut off from. Many times people want to grow, but the problem is that they are encumbered with many things. Those things then slow them down. Gradually, they lose their appetite for spiritual growth and their hunger in the spirit. And before you know it, when you don't feed a child for a week or two, life will get out of the child. That's what happens. Yeah. So, I hope the person that asked 
that question has gotten an answer. Yeah. Nurture the hunger, surround yourself with the right people. It's just, I mean, as simple as read a chapter of the Bible a day and pray for five minutes. Yeah. If you don't have anything to pray about, give thanks. You cannot give thanks for life, for good things God is doing in your life, and you are driving to work and you'll be depressed. It's not possible. Even if you get into a bus and conductor abuse you, you just need giving thanks at home. Just say, if you know what God is doing in my life, you'll be talking like this. You sit calmly. Yeah. But when you, when you wake up and jump out, and you're, in your spirit, you're exasperated, conductor abuse you, you say, if I slap you, you say, hey, you want to slap me? And before you know it, you, gentleman, you're fighting in the bus. Yeah. Or you're driving on the road, somebody drove off for you. Before you know it, you just walk at them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what happens most of the time now. And it's, it shows the state of your spirit when you do all those things. That, that, I mean, I'm just trying to make it as simple as I can, I can describe it. Yeah. Okay. Um, just three questions, then we'll do life. Um, due to lack of discipline some years ago, I impregnated a lady who had a child for me. I'm in my 30s. I want to marry her because she has a child for me, but I'm struggling to love her. What do I do? Stop. Let, let me answer that one first. It's very important. Yeah. Um, whoever wrote this question, I have this answer for you and listen. And if there's any other person in that kind of situation, it may not be exactly like that, but anything similar. You are not under compulsion to marry her. Marrying, you see, if you are still dealing with the guilt, maybe you didn't come out for the prayer of tonight, because if you came out for the prayer of tonight, that should be the end of it. Yeah, that should be the end of it. The mercy of God is stronger than my error. And it's stronger than my mistake. Yeah. So, I don't have... You are still trying to do something. Yeah. So that you can feel fully forgiven. When Jesus hung on the cross said it is finished, he has, he has paid the price for your mistake. Yeah. All you need to do now is to do anything within your power to take care of that child. But if you are struggling to love her, Maybe she's not your wife. And the fact that somebody has a child for you does not automatically make that person your wife. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. So you need to set yourself free. If it's not going to work, it's not going to work because you put yourself into trouble. Yeah. You marry her because of a child and then you continue to struggle for the rest of your life. Set her free and set yourself free. If you don't love her, don't marry her. Don't put her into misery because you're not going to treat her well. Yeah. And you will resent that child over time. He said, you, you're the one that makes me marry this woman. You know, no. It's not like that. If you're, not, I mean, if you're not supposed to marry her, don't marry her. If you don't have love for her in your heart, genuine love for her in your heart, you pray about it and it's not coming. And maybe she's not your wife. She will find somebody who will marry her or take care of that child. As much as possible as you can help her too. As the one who is spending her time to take care of your child, if she's in a fix, she's in a bad situation and you can help, help. Or help with no strings attached. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen things in the last over 20 years of pastoring. I've seen many people who make this kind of... In fact, I know of someone who was a very close friend of mine, uh, you know, who made this kind of mistake, a lady. And because of the way she was thinking also, the guy had said she was not marrying her. And then the guy would just visit their daughter, you know, and all that. And then... Some people started talking to her because she is now coming around to see the child. 
just be nice to him. Maybe he will still marry you and all that. Somehow, they slept together again. And she got pregnant again. And so I'm speaking to you now, a life is a demonstration of God's mercy. Because even upon the second child, two girls, I think the first one has almost finished university now, probably finished university. I mean, this lady, I was in university with her, my colleagues in school. Even with the second girl, this coconut head guy did not see Maria. Yeah. But you know, I say that with a pinch of salt. Because it's wanting to call him coconut head. It's wanting to actually, I'm calling him coconut head because of his error. Not because he didn't marry her. Because if they're not supposed to be married, they should not be married. Yeah. The two of them are my friends. <laughs> so even the coconut head is still my friend. But you know the thing? The two of them are married today. The lady is married. I think she's had two other kids for her husband. So she has four kids now. The other guy is married with a child, with his wife too. Both of them are okay. Living their lives and moving on. Or if they had attended to marry, somebody may have killed somebody. Yeah. Something fatal may have happened that will be irreparable. Don't live your life on sentiment, my brother. Yeah. I just spoke about the discipline of emotion. Yeah. Deal with that emotion of guilt. God has forgiven you. God's mercy is greater than your error. Live a good life. Take care of that child that you brought into the world. And that woman that is taking care of that child, who is the mother of your child, make sure that she's well, is sound in her mind, so that she can take care of that child well. But it does not mean that you should have married her. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, my question is, how can I know the right mentor for me, especially in the area of leadership? Um, how, do I, how do I change the mindsets of my partner, especially in the area of finance, where she thinks our money is hers, uh, my money is hers? Okay. How do I locate the right mentor for me, especially in the area of leadership? We say that your mentor is a picture of your future. So somebody that, in whatever area at all, somebody who exemplifies what you see of yourself years ahead. You know, I've been talking about 10 years, 20 years. I'm just trying to help your mind to project ahead. Is there somebody that looks like it, whether in your profession, in your spiritual life, in marriage, you see a picture of, because somebody cannot take you where they have not been. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But you know where you want to go. So you should be able to decide who can mentor you in this area. Because you see, this is where I want to go. This person has been there and can help me get there. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's as simple as that. Don't put sentiment into it. Yeah. Simple as that. All you need to work, I mean, to look out for outside of what I've said are values. Yeah. Because you may see that, you may be thinking in my future, you know, by the time I hit my 40 or by the time I'm 45, I want to have a, this size of company and all that. And somebody has it right now. But if your values don't align, they may mentor you wrongly. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah. So look at where they are. If it aligns with where you want to be in the future, then look at value alignment. Yeah. You don't want to say, because I want to make money, somebody's stealing his own, and I want to join him to steal it, whether from government or from a company or from whatever, 
values don't align. The person may look like my future, but how he got there is not how I want to get there. So I look for somebody with values, our values align, and they're where I am, and that's the kind of person that should mentor you. Um, the, the last question there is... Uh, Changing the mindset of uh, my partner in the Okay, about money. Yeah. Um, most of the time when people say my money is my money and your money is your money, especially when you're still dating and they're insisting, they're dealing with certain insecurity. Yeah. Maybe she has seen bad experiences. Maybe with her parents, maybe with her older siblings who's been married and treated badly in finances. Maybe the way her mom, treat, I mean, her dad treated her mom, you know, when it comes to money. If you really love her, don't run away from her. Sit her down. Engage a counselor or somebody who can explain why there should be openness, even in finances, in marriage. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That our money is our money. Your money and my money. Like I taught in the last series, God sends money into a family. God is our source. Both of us are channels. So sometimes God finds me the channel to use. Some of that time God finds you. Maybe through my business, maybe through your own salary. When we put it together, this is our household income. It's our money. We decide what you spend, what I will spend, and what we're keeping aside. And what we keep aside over a period of time, what project are we using it for? Yeah. That's how it is. But to say, my money is my money, we are one. But when it comes to finances, we are no one. If that persists, you are seeing a problem that can break your marriage in the future. So after you have helped the person to understand, and you have spoken to the person, and you have, you know, if the person still insists, and if that's not going to work for you, perhaps it may be a deal breaker for you. It's actually strong enough to be a deal breaker if you love your life. You know, the greatest asset in marriage is not how beautiful your wife is, it's how much peace you can have in your home. Telling you the truth. That's the greatest asset in marriage. And somebody who is arguing with you about money all the time will not give you peace. So that may be a deal breaker and it may be good enough to just work out of that relationship. Can we take a last question? Yeah. Question. Life. Any final, final last question? Okay. Yeah. We need to shut down. Okay. Can we take? Thank you, sir. Okay. Um, you said just now about a mentor being somebody who models what you want to be. What if the person who models almost exactly what you want to be in the future is far from you and you need to be accountable to someone? There are other people around you who don't necessarily perfectly model what you want to be, but they know more than you in many areas. And you need them to teach you some things and you need to be accountable to somebody. Um, how do you go about that? No, you, you, you've said it. What's your name? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel you've said it. Um, common sense says to us that what, what you need is not always too far away from you. If it's so far, your hands cannot reach it. Maybe you don't need it. God is not wicked. And you have to maximize what is around you before you wish for something else. Yeah. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have um, a relatively large church today. I can't mentor everybody in a church, and I can't counsel with everybody. But I have people that are mentored, and that have counselled. Look at Bellamy sitting here. 
I've known Dalami for more than 10 years. Yeah, maybe going to 15 years. His company, we set it up in my office. He sat in front of me like this, and we drew the plan for that company. Yeah. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. How, long, how old is your company now? 10 years now. Yeah. His um, company, they, they, they're into uh, cleaning of high-rise buildings. Is the, perhaps the number one in this country, indigenous company that does that. And it's a franchise that he got from abroad. And it's a company that God has blessed. They do most of the major high-rise buildings in Abuja and Lagos here. This company uh, does the cleaning for that. He has many people in his employment. But I was sitting in my office at Daystar, and it was in my office we designed that. So if you're starting a business now, you don't need me. You need Dalami. And there are many Dalamis that have <laughs> helped like that and sat down with and coached and mentored over the years. So to then say, except his pastor Godman, because I, I like him. I like, what I, I like his wife. I like what I can see. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mean that you wouldn't have an opportunity. I mean, we're here now. This is also like a mentoring session. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But I'm saying when it comes to one-on-one, like you said, there are people around you, they may not be your ultimate picture, but you know they know the stuff that you don't know. And they've done stuff that you haven't done. You need to be able to sit with them, ask them questions. Even when it comes to spiritual growth, I have many pastors and ministers, and some people will say, except I see Pastor Godman. I just laugh at them. You just want to kill Pastor Godman. Yeah, because <laughs> I can see everybody. But there are people that, I mean, there are connect group leaders, area coordinators, ministers, pastors, that some of them have had the opportunity of mentoring them for 20 years. They would say, tell you exactly what I would tell you word for word. Some of our pastors have followed me to minister in so many places, they can preach a message I'll preach verbatim. And somebody is still saying, it's like because you feel now that you have billions in your destiny, but until, you, until that good thing mentor you, they're not going to start. You know, the road of that person is very far. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't want you to overextend what I said. Like you see the person, you, uh, no. What, let me say this lastly on it. Many people are lazy. That's the problem. There are mentors that I have today who have impacted my life tremendously. And I've met, never met them before, but I've read all their books. Yeah. I've listened to anything that's available that they've put on YouTube or anywhere online, their personal website, anything. I've consumed all of them. Yeah. So, that's what I'm talking about. It's not about, first and foremost, access. You can, people that are around you, that God has placed around you, can be the ones holding you accountable, but the knowledge you need, the examples you need, the modeling you need, you can still get it from somebody that you have never met before, or that you may never have the opportunity of sitting down with one-on-one. And Paul said, you have many instructors. He only said, you don't have many fathers. But you have many instructors. In life, we'll have many instructors. Yeah. And you have to pick instruction from everywhere. That's what makes a wholesome man. Praise God. Has this night been a blessing to you? All right.
Uh, please make sure that you have your details on our database. Pastor Boale will give us one or two announcements and we'll shut down. But make sure you have your details on our database. Uh, I'm trying to see how I can put some measure of regularity into this. Uh, but I cannot tell you right now that this is the next date. But who will? How many of us like, got a text or email and that's why you're here? Yeah. And some of us saw on the saw adverts, right? Yeah. So if you're not on our database yet, so that you won't just be waiting for adverts, we are able to communicate with you directly. And people on our database also want to be able to send, you know, some articles, some things to read or things to catch up on from time to time, so that when we come, it's like see what I've been talking. I hope you understand. So please make sure you get on our database. Have a great, great evening. Thank you, sir. Okay, um, we are shutting down. Can you please rise? Um,